Yankees Files podcast. We are back. We are just under 24 hours away from the trade deadline. The Yankees had an underwhelming week against the Orioles and Mets, highlighted only by the game that Whipple and I attended together. And I don't even know how to feel. They still are very much within earshot of... That's not the way to use earshot. The Yankees are still very much within reach of a playoff spot, but they have been in such a position for a while now and failed to make a significant change in their standing. They have also failed or at least elected not to make a significant change to their team as we sit here just shy of the trade deadline. Whipple, I'm kind of at a loss. I am continuously disappointed and kind of shocked at how the Yankees continue to manage to underachieve. And maybe I shouldn't be at this point, but I just, I I really don't know what to make of this team anymore. What, how are you feeling? Where do you stand with this? Yeah, I, I feel very similarly. I think we see the same script play out almost every weekend where the Yankees lose and, some fashion on Friday they come back and and pull out a win Saturday and then they lose in heartbreaking gut-wrenching or just brutal fashion on Sunday and I mean I know that's you know anecdotal but like that's just kind of the vibe of the season I mean this team isn't bad enough to be bad but they aren't good enough right now to be at the top of the league it's just a series of stops and starts and similar to 2021 I think they have a chance as long as they keep playing like this but if they want to actually make the playoffs you know the 21 2021 team had to actually start winning games and they did around this time and this team just feels like every yeah one step forward two step back kind of mentality I think this week obviously is important but at this point I mean I think the reason I was so encouraged last weekend is because we just want to see them win games and I don't really care who they beat but they've shown a frustrating lack of ability to to win in any type of situation with any consistency when they're not playing the Royals or the Athletics in the last month and a half. And that's definitely concerning. And I think the biggest concern is it's kind of coming from all directions. Uh, the game you went to on Friday, no offense, great pitching. They lose that one. And yesterday, Luis Severino just didn't show up and no pitching loses that game. And I feel like the Titanic is sinking and the, the leaks are you know, popping up. And like you said, no personnel changes, no meaningful alterations in playing time. I mean, I think the biggest personnel decision that has been surprising was releasing Aaron Hicks. And not that I think they should have kept him, but it arguably hasn't worked out as well as they intended. So that's kind of the story of this year. And this team just continues to to frustrate, especially because they have the guys. And at this point, it's not even about one or two guys it's half a roster that isn't showing up to play and that's tough I mean I don't know what move we'll talk about the trade deadline I don't know what move you make that's realistically on the table you know that actually can fix this and maybe at this point we're just kind of waiting to see will the the bad luck turn around will this team you know be able to take the core pieces it has and make a run and I I believe they have that opportunity but you know, it's getting late early, and the later they go, I think the more concerning it is. Yes, the trade deadline is tomorrow, but 
there's been a lot of weeks for trades. I feel like this is a seller's market and it's definitely going to be interesting, probably underwhelming what they bring back, I would guess. And then you have two months left and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what this team is capable of without major upgrades. And the last thing I'll say is I think this is why people who say, oh, you can't, you don't have to address issues in the offseason. Just get, you know, the Yankees only care about August and September. Just get to the trade deadline. Well, this can happen. There's a very real risk that you're going to have a market where there's just not the pieces available. And the Yankees last year took advantage of a lot more players who fit their needs and made some pretty meaningful upgrades that didn't work out. But this year, I just don't think those same caliber of players are there. Maybe we'll be surprised, but it's just a tough strategy to build around when you run into the risk of it being a barren market. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I think we need to put that basically all on the back burner to discuss what's really the most pressing concern that we have on this podcast, which as we've mentioned a couple of times is being recorded just hours before the trade deadline. And that is we have both, in the life of Yankees files, accused the other or suggested that the other might be a curse in the a curse upon the Yankees in the games that that person attends. And you know, and I know that after the one nothing loss that I attended on Friday night, I had lost two consecutive games that I attended. The Yankees had lost in back-to-back games that I attended for the first time since 2010. I actually discovered I had had a two-game losing streak before in August and October of 2010, but it was only the second ever. It was 13 years later almost, so I was very concerned. Maybe I have become a curse. One thing I've done a lot on this podcast is make a big deal about the Whipple curse. And we both know that there was an extended period of time during which the Yankees almost never won when you went to see them. And that there was an extended period of time. In fact, it lasted from as far as I can tell, and it may be earlier than this, but as far as I can tell, it was at least a 15 game stretch from September 2014 to July 2022. I went to games that the Yankees never lost. And the tides appeared to have turned. The Yankees lost the home opener in Baltimore, which I attended. They lost Friday night's game 1-0 in absolutely heartbreaking fashion, which I attended. And if the Yankees had lost on Saturday, with both of us in attendance, my curse ostensibly being brought into that game... Our collective winning streak, the Yankees have never lost a game that we've attended together on the line, your legacy curse potentially in play, that would have been awful for the Yankees Files brand. We'd have to talk about never going to games again. We'd have to talk about if if, if it's acceptable for us to be in close proximity to this team. We'd have to talk about the potential extenuating factors or... If there is anything, any common characteristics between the losses that potentially indicate that it's the curse of someone else and not one of us and the Yankees winning on Saturday night, particularly in the fashion that they did, I think took a huge amount of pressure off of us because we were in a, a pretty, 
precarious situation there, I would say. Well, from, from my perspective, I think the the legacy of the Whipple curse, uh, it, it maybe, maybe it hasn't totally been absolved, but there definitely there was a lot of uh, legwork done to move the Whipple curse to the Whipple good luck charm after this weekend. And I, I will say that my losing streak was not so much the product maybe of luck, but maybe just of dumb decisions, uh, me deciding to go to almost every game. And uh, the Yankees played in Fenway Park during a summer in which they were pretty helpless at Fenway Park. And after that, like I've had relatively good luck since that the last time I went to Fenway Park, since I swore off Fenway Park for at least five years, as I walked out and said, the Yankees have only lost two games that I've been to. They've won, I want to say, eight and you know, there. I, I don't know if I've totally fixed it, but I think this weekend really was interesting. I mean, the fact that you were there, they didn't win. I showed up, they won. Yankees files, you know, preserved as a charm, but people are talking about, the, is the Whipple curse over? Is, is Will the one potentially dealing with some set, sort of uh, paranormal activity? It'll be something to okay, monitor. Okay, so look, look. All I'm saying look, is I'm two and one this about... year and you're one and two. So I don't know. Whipple, we're talking about, if you'll indulge me, in the last eight years, I've seen the Yankees lose twice. Well, the last year you've seen well, them use twice. I think it's a little bit aggressive. I think it's a little bit aggressive to say that I have cursed the Yankees because they lost two games three and a half months apart that I attended before winning the most recent one. I am still 16 and two in the last 18 Yankee games that I something to monitor, but I look, I was concerned. I was concerned if the Yankees had lost on Saturday night and I was riding a three game losing streak, I was going to have to ask myself some pretty serious questions. And you know what? I'm going to say that I think I would have handled it differently then you handled it when you were a curse. Because what did you do when every time you went to Fenway, the Yankees would lose? What did you do? I, I went back. You kept going. And what did you do on Saturday night after the Yankees lost twice? So the Yankees did not lose twice in advance of Saturday night. They lost the last two games I had attended. You would go to like a four-game series and they'd lose the first three and you'd it, all with you in attendance, and you'd show up for the Sunday the, game. The actual it's a different record, thing. I went to a Friday and a Sunday game, and they lost. And then I went to a Thursday and a Friday game, and they lost. Both. So, both times. Both, both both times. I think the bigger thing, that I, outside of curses, I think you experienced your Brooks Krisky game. I, I did. Think, I do. So, I think you're right about that. I did experience my Brooks Krisky game. So, you know, we don't need to rehash what went on in the game that I attended beyond that there was a two and a half hour rain delay. I, the, I was alone and the game was terrible for the entire time. And it was capped off by an Anthony Santander walk off solo home run. I think I was out of the stadium by the time the ball landed. I, I, it left the bat. I left my seat and I just did not want anything to do with any person who was there, although I will say that on my way out of the stadium, I did get some compliments on the Jabba Rule shirt, which 
I think unfortunately has been retired. I bought a Jabba Rule shirt in the spring of 2019, and the Yankees started off my ownership of that shirt on a 7-0 run in games that I attended and wore the shirt. They then lost two in a row, the two that we've been discussing, and I had to retire it for Saturday night, and they ultimately won, so it may never come back. So I think the the way we wrap this up, and for for everyone who wasn't listening two years ago, I was at the Brooks Christie game, very similar circumstances, rain delay, I was left by my game companions, it lasted into the late hours of the night, lots of missed opportunities, and everyone knows how it ended. So I guess the question I pose to you, because I've experienced one of these these hardships and you've experienced the other, and I think they're both bad in different ways. But which is worse, the Brooks Krisky game? I think or the Brooks Krisky game is worse. I, I think so, just because I think of the, what you. It's s- the combination of all the things. It was wild pitches, which are unforced errors. It happened in Boston. Like I think there's there's just so many things that make that worse. Like I had a very bad time at my game, but Orioles fans are relatively chill. The Yankees offense didn't score. I didn't have a reason to think they would win the game. They never had a lead, obviously. The Yankees are a meaningfully worse team this year than the Orioles, whereas, of course, the Yankees and the Red Sox were really deadlocked in 2021. I think they're... If you told me that um, that I was in hell, but for some reason I got to choose if I wanted like which hell I wanted to be in. And one is you go to the game that I was at on Friday night, every night. And the other was you go to the Brooks Christie game every night. I would choose the game that I was at. Yeah. I I think the biggest thing with the Brooks Christie game is they had a multi-run lead with one out to go at Fenway. Mm -hmm. And that you kind of knew it was over. Like I left the stadium during the Brooks Christie game when the Yankees took the lead because I reasoned to myself, either they're going to win, I was going to be fine, or they're going to lose, and I was going to just want to be out of there. And I, w- I could hear the cheers mm. for each wild pitch as I was walking like down the stairs. So, yeah. But we, we have each experienced baseball hell. I will say that I, knowing that feeling, it is like your game was pretty bad. I don't think we're saying that it wasn't bad. And 2021 was, you know, that game ended up being the difference maker for a wild card spot. Mm -hmm. I I think we'd be happy right now if uh, the Yankees got that close to the Orioles. But the seven circles of baseball hell finds a way for everyone if you go to enough games. Yeah, man, it was it was so disappointing. And something that I harp on a lot and Twitter follower Taylor Jackson will shout this out when he listens to the podcast. The Yankees have just an improbably low batting average on balls in play. And that was on full display on Friday night. I made a compilation of it. It's up on our Twitter. There were multiple diving catches, diving stops, guys who are not good defenders making incredible plays, balls that were absolutely scalded or would normally drop were getting caught thanks to either really adept or really lucky defensive positioning. And it was just absolutely infuriating. I was so mad watching this happen and it doesn't make any sense. So I just want to go through some stats that I've been looking at 
The Yankees have a 263 batting average on balls in play. The next lowest in Major League Baseball is 274. The league, Major League Baseball, has a 297 BABIP. 263 versus 297. And when you take the Yankees out of that sample, it probably goes up to about 300. So that's ridiculous. And I can't find any reasons why the Yankees' BABIP should be so low. Because typically, you don't hit for a high batting average on balls in play because you hit the ball softly and it is easier to defend. Well, that doesn't actually come through for the Yankees. They have the fifth highest average exit velocity. They have the second highest maximum exit velocity. They have the seventh highest barrels per batted ball, the sixth highest barrels per plate appearance. They have the eighth highest hard hit rate. None of it makes sense. And they, of course, have the ninth highest expected weighted on base and the 23rd highest weighted on base. So none of it makes sense. And I was inspired to do this because I was looking at how Glaber Torres is actually kind of the microcosm of this. He has a 348 expected weighted on base, 80th percentile max exit velo, 74th percentile expected slug, and a 265 BABIP. It doesn't make any sense that Glaber Torres would have a 106 WRC plus with the way he's hitting the ball. And people say, oh, it's sweet spot percentage. And sweet spot percentage is a ball hit between eight and 32 degrees of launch angle. It's the thing that Luis Arise is really good at doing. The thing that makes it so he has such a high batting average on balls in play. The Yankees are eighth in sweet spot percentage. Glaber Torres has a higher one than Jose Ramirez. Like none of this makes sense. The Yankees hit the ball too high, too hard, too well generally to have such poor outcomes on their batted balls. And it doesn't make any sense that they would have this massive gap between their expected statistics and their realized statistics because we've had such a large sample. And I know there's an article that I keep thinking about that I read years and years ago that explained that sometimes sustain or sometimes what looks like sustained bad batted ball luck is really a function of predictable spray charts and very good defensive positioning. And the way they were describing this was it was through the lens of the Yankees hit so many home runs, which they still hit a reasonable number of home runs. Uh, The Yankees hit so many home runs. So teams play really deep in the outfield against them to cut off any other type of extra base hit. And it was just an interesting kind of natural explanation of why it might be that a team with good batted ball statistics would have bad batted ball luck or what looks like bad batted ball luck, but really it's a, 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 a function of strategy that is being employed against them. I haven't seen anything like that this year um, to describe why the Yankees are going through what they're going through. They have the third largest gap between their expected and realized weighted on base and the teams that are, worse than them in that just like don't hit the ball well so they're the only good team experiencing this is is what I'm trying to say 
and I, I can't understand it. And for as long as trends like that sustain, I think it's reasonable to hold out hope that the Yankees will figure something out that this, what's going on here can't keep going on, basically. When they have a higher expected weighted on base than the Rays, than the Red Sox, who are two of the luckiest teams by comparing ex-WOBA and WOBA, you know, it, it's it's just kind of hard for me to buy into. They, I, I don't, as someone who believes in the data and believes in the statistics, it is improbable that these trends would persist for the Yankees given the way they hit the ball. Now, everything that's happened this year for the Yankees has been improbable. I was saying to a friend of the show earlier that I don't think it's fair to say the Yankees should have expected everything to go wrong that has gone wrong. I think there are certain things that have gone wrong that were predictable on their own, but that not that all of those things going wrong is inherently not predictable. And the way I described it is, okay, so Judge is going to get hurt twice. Well, that's fine because we have Stanton and Rizzo and LeMahieu. Okay, well, Stanton's going to be hurt too. Well, that's fine because Rizzo, Glaber, and DJ are there. And then we have a record of finding diamonds in the rough, and that'll give the kids time to play. No, actually, your best diamond in the rough will be out almost as long as Judge. Rizzo will have the worst two months of his career, and DJ will forget how to hit for 10 weeks too. All right, but the kids are going to produce, right? No. Okay, well, that lineup should still be competent enough with this pitching staff, right? I mean, you have Cole, you have Seve, you have Nestor, and you have Rodon. That's an incredible top four. Actually, no. Uh, the last three guys that you listed are all going to get hurt for significant periods of time, and Severino's going to forget how to pitch, and Nestor's going to be bad when he's healthy. That is all of those things all going wrong, really improbable. They all happened. So... As I look at the batted ball data and I see these very compelling reasons why we shouldn't believe that the Yankees offense is going to continue to be this bad, I look back at something like this and I go, well, probability hasn't stopped anything this season. If probability were working the way it's supposed to, things would be going differently for the Yankees. And I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm sad about it. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know why this is plaguing them, but... I just, I just had to get that out. Like if basically if you're acting like the results of this season are predictable based either on the product that the Yankees have put on the field or the team that they brought into this season, you are being ridiculous. That much is very true and very clear, but also it's just the perfect example. It's the anti-2021 Giants. Sometimes you're the 2021 Giants and everything goes right. And sometimes you're the 2023 Yankees and everything goes wrong. And I think the expected statistics and just the simple look at this roster, should it be good or not, which is bolstered by preseason projections, all those things show us that we were not wrong to be optimistic about this team. And yet, this is what we've gotten. It's, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to grapple with it. I'm extremely unhappy about it, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, I think that rant is a pretty good summary of what's what's kind of happened. And I mean, maybe that's just the, you know, the logical explanation is that there is no logical explanation. Um, and, and looking at what you're talking about, you know, difference between 
uh, weighted on base percentage, expected on weighted on base percentage, and just like the most cursory glance at a team by team level. Like you have some guys who underperform and some guys who overperform, and that's like I feel like the average baseball season. And the Yankees are pretty much for their qualifying players are all negative. Like they've all mm-hmm. underperformed and. I mean, you could go like we could sit down and walk through each guy right now. And I think we'd find some reasons, you know, that why Stanton or Rizzo isn't doing well. Like we've done that before on this podcast. But I think in the macro sense, like you're right, like there's no reason that all of those reasons coincided at the same time. And Aaron Judge got hurt by running into a wall. And, you know, Luis Severino forgot how to pitch, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think you can have issues with the way the Yankees built the roster or more aptly, as you said, how they manage the roster, but still, you know, look at that. And, you know, it's a talented team. It came into the season as a talented team. I think you could still look at that. You can point to that talent and say the talent underperformed because sometimes that happens. And unfortunately it all happened for the Yankees at once. I think the fact that what the fact that they're in playoff contention at least to some extent speaks to the, you know, how this team can still find a way to win games or keep, you know, with a poor offense, the pitching staff can keep them in close games, but you're never going to overcome this unless you have games like when we went on Saturday. I mean, that's how the Yankees mm-hmm. are going to win when judge and Stan Homer and the supporting players pick up the pieces and Clark Schmidt should be able to pitch five innings and give up three runs and get a win. Like how many Yankees? Absolutely. Yeah, how many Yankees players have we seen do that? There's no reason Clark Schmidt has to be an ace, but I think the problem is either the offense is doing less than, you know, less than a minimal amount, or the pitching staff just has random blowups. Because that's another thing this year. I mean, we've seen a lot of very close games, and we've seen a lot of blowouts against the Yankees. So that yeah. that speaks to me that like there you. I guess what I'm trying to say is like the Yankees pitching staff isn't, doesn't give up 10 runs a game, but some players have been so bad that in like one tenth of your games, you're dealing with, you know, a six, seven run deficit coming out of the third, you know, innings two and three, and that's going to screw you over. I mean, you're not going to win those games, but when your offense is then scoring zero runs for, you know, 20% of your games, you have to, you, you can't win those games either. And I feel like that those start to add up and those start to add up. And when you're not winning the games on the margins and you're just already writing off a bunch of your games and you don't have any surprises on this roster that are picking up the pieces. And that's kind of, I think the last thing in my mind and just like this general analysis of their problems, like there's, we talked about it, breakout player of the year or comeback player of the year, kind of the awards that target those who overperform. I mean, we're talking about, you know, half a season of Jake Bowers or, Tommy Canely in 15 innings. Uh, nothing. That's okay, let's really be gonna... clear. Jake Bowers is awesome. Yeah, no, but I, I want I want that to be very clear. Jake Bowers is awesome. I think the Yankees have misused him. He should be the starting first baseman. It's not his fault that he got hurt or that he didn't get called up until the time that he got called up. Jake Bowers is awesome. But yes, you're right. There yeah. is not a Gio Urshela who showed up on April 15th and just crushed it. Right, and winning teams... Maybe not to that level, but they kind of have to have those those players step up. And really, the the relievers on the Yankees have stepped up. The stars on the mm-hmm. Yankees have stepped up. But you're missing that whole middle section because of underperformance, because of random variation that all happened to a lineup. But I, they we, we didn't start this podcast to say it's one of those years and they just have to deal with it. it it's 
just yeah it's mind-boggling I think I don't know if there's another way to say it but I, I guess the big takeaway is like all the little things along the way that go well for winning teams that the Yankees did for 75 percent of last year just that those haven't occurred this year I mean the Yankees haven't won more than five games in a row and I think that tells you all you need to know about this team's ability to find any sort of consistency I need to close fan graphs because I was about to start reciting the gaps that each of these hitters has between his expected and actual weighted on base because it's it's infuriating. But you're right. And and it, the gaps aren't it, small. They're like some of the biggest the gaps, gaps are, in the league. The gaps are massive. Uh and you're right that it would it would seem like a good Yankees team would have had guys show up and just succeed. Right? I feel like that's something we see pretty often is guys who we aren't expecting to get contributions from show up and they just kill it. And you know what? It's really cool when that happens. It's not something we've seen this year. And I hate that the Yankees are in a position in which that's what we're hoping for, in which that's what needs to happen for them to succeed. But I'm also torn because as we've repeatedly said on this podcast, as I've repeatedly said to people, the formula for success for this team is Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu and Anthony Rizzo being good. And you know what? Since like the beginning of July, certainly DJ LeMahieu has held up his end of that bargain. Stanton has been up and down in the way that Stanton is for since what like late June but he's been relatively good but when DJ LeMay who has a 136 WRC plus since July 4th I'm becoming less willing to blame DJ LeMay and looking for other explanations when Giancarlo Stanton has a 118 WRC plus, which is still less than we'd expect of him, but a 118 WRC plus since June 25th, I'm becoming less willing to blame Giancarlo Stanton. And honestly, the things that I feel like are plaguing this team are Anthony Rizzo being in the worst stretch of his career, a time during which he's been awful and a time during which the Yankees refusal to bench him betrays that they are not this organization that is a slave to analytics in the way that they are perceived to be because Anthony Rizzo having a 44 WRC plus in his last 184 plate appearances and still playing every single day that doesn't add up yeah I I it's Anthony Rizzo and bad luck at, at this point I I see nothing more than Anthony Rizzo bad luck and the occasional bad start from Luis Severino and those should not be enough to bring down this team. And that's what brings me back to this thing that I keep trying to get away from, but I can't, which is it should not be possible for this team's luck to be this bad for this long. Yeah, I, I think there are other guys. I think your least favorite, new least favorite player, Harrison Bader, has been horrific against righties. He's been miserable. I cannot stand Harrison. I mean, Bader. I hate to go back to this again, but Anthony Volpe has not really lit the world on fire since you know, the last three weeks since the chicken yep. parm hot stretch, whenever you want to say that ended. I mean, I will be, let's be generous and say it ended July 4th or July 5th. 
And so now you have from July 5th to, or July 6th to July 30th, you basically have a sub 500 OPS player for 18 games. And yep. we had the conversation in June, but when are you going to send him down? I, I think the thing that frustrates me is that Rizzo, Volpe, uh, even Bader to some extent, certainly Donaldson and Hicks when they're in the lineup, they, there is no... And, and, okay, let's put aside okay, Donaldson and but, Hicks. Donaldson and Hicks combined for like as many plate appearances this year as Oswaldo Cabrera or something. Right. Like these guys are not relevant pieces of okay. this team. But, but where you're getting pattern. is it, to a good yeah. point, which is if people want to say there's no accountability right. with this team, that better start with Anthony Volpe, Anthony Rizzo, and Harrison Bader. Right. And, and even like, I think people want to call benching them accountability when... I. I think people say accountability is Aaron Boone should yell at the players, but really sometimes they mean yep. they should be benched. And I don't think they should be benched for accountability. I think they should be benched because you want to put the best lineup out there and no other. Yeah, team I mean, deals. I'm using accountability as like meritocracy, right. like either you earn your playing time or you don't. And the notion to me that the Yankees could have Everson Pereira and triple a that they could have Jake Bowers on the roster that they could have every excuse in the world to phantom IL Anthony Rizzo and say, you know what, guys, actually, he has been dealing with something since that San Diego series, and they haven't done it? Like, what is going on? I, I don't understand why the Yankees, who maybe other teams do this, but it seems like the Yankees just, they are so married to certain veterans that, it, and I'm not even talking about releasing veterans. If your name is not Aaron Hicks, or Joey Gallo, you've usually been okay to find yourself in the lineup most days when you're a slumping veteran. And I don't know if that is just how the Yankees operate, but I feel like you said there's no analytics going into those decisions. And I have to agree because there's no reason Anthony Rizzo can't be on the bench or on the IL. I don't think he'll get traded, but at this point, if you want urgency, and this is actually something I'd like to bring up kind of in this vein. Because I, I saw a lot of people getting upset that Aaron Judge was not playing Sunday. And to that I say, Aaron Judge was probably... The decision was not Aaron Judge play all three days. The decision was Aaron Judge will play two days or he'll play no days. So the fact yeah, that... Yeah, it was Aaron Judge will play two days or Aaron Judge is not coming back for this series. Right. And Aaron Judge being in the lineup obviously changes the lineup, but... The, uh, the other issues, you know, there's there's a lot more than Aaron Judge that that's at issue here. And I think that when Aaron Judge is in the lineup, but all of these other guys are continuing to find consistent playing time, when you're not using analytics to play your best players at the moment, creating your most optimal lineups, I mean, that's pretty glaring. And analytics is, as we've said so many times, just using all of the data you have available to make the best decisions possible. So when people say the Yankees didn't use analytics 30 years ago, I guarantee you they were using all the information and the data available to make the best possible decisions. But uh, to some extent here, I just feel like they're not doing that or they're refusing to because of money or some other factor that's going into it. Because objectively, this lineup would look a lot different if the resources were shuffled around and it has nothing to do with Aaron judge's injury concern. It has everything to do with the other eight guys who consistently receive playing time. Maybe not all eight of them, but some combination of the eight has probably needed to be switched out pretty much all year and has not, that hasn't happened for various reasons. I don't know if Everson Pereira, if Oswald Peraza, if we, we know if Jake Bowers would be better, but 
do we okay the mm-hmm. argument that oh you know put them in and they're gonna get exposed with consistent playing time well at least you know that because right now you're seeing the devil you know is not working <laughs> like it's clearly not working yeah. and something needs to change and it's just so hard to see how the Yankees end up ban- benching Anthony Rizzo or doing something in that vein platooning Harrison Bader I don't know maybe yeah, no I think this goes back to something that we talked about on a prior episode that I think will allow us to segue nicely into the final thoughts on the trade deadline or the final thoughts on what the Yankees still ought to do at the trade deadline. We can try as much as we want to explain why the Yankee season has gone the way it has. And maybe it has to do with rotten luck. Maybe it has to do with a misplaced allegiance to certain players. Maybe it has to do with good players getting hurt. Maybe it has to do with having an aging roster. It it could be a number of things. Something that we've agreed on on past episodes is that the Yankees in the face of this season that could potentially be explained away by a number of factors have decided to stand pat and have acted with less urgency and responded inadequately to the situation that they've ended up in. Would you say it's fair to say that you agree with that? Yeah. So, and for me, especially viewing baseball, how I view baseball, that's a tough proposition for me to get on board with because I simply don't believe that things could continue to go the way they've gone, but they're going that way. So I look at how the front office has responded and frankly, the lack of response for a front office. And it's disappointing because even if they're seeing what I'm seeing or more detailed version of what I'm seeing and they're saying, this can't sustain the bottom line is it has. So they need to do something about that and they've not done anything about it. So with the trade deadline, again, as we've said, hours away, what would you still do to try to improve this team or at least inject some kind of spark, give them more options than they currently have? How would you approach this? What would you like to see the Yankees do? Yeah, I I think they still need an outfielder, and mm-hmm. we've talked about it almost every episode. This team needs an outfielder. I'm starting to care a little bit less about handedness because I think yep. at this point they just need good hitters. Um, so I think that's – if they walk away from the deadline without an outfielder, I think no matter – even if they got like other reliever, starter, whatever, I, I think you have to get an outfielder. It's mm-hmm. just not going to work for the rest of the season. And if Harrison Bader has any sort of injury, then you're really screwed. And that's not even counting on Harrison Bader when he has clearly shown he's having trouble hitting righties is a bad proposition. So I think you need an outfielder. Counting on Harrison Bader when he's clearly shown he has a lot of trouble playing baseball <laughs> is a tough proposition. Um. So I think you. I think you need the outfielder. Um. And I feel like we've seen a lot of interesting propositions. Maybe this should be a second question of should the Yankees buy and sell? Who would they be able to sell without completely throwing in the, the, you know, the white towel 
Uh, throwing in the towel. We're mixing up our metaphors today a lot, aren't we? <laughs> throwing in the flag the, and the white towel. The towel may be white, and that's getting thrown in. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think maybe they need a reliever. I also think it might be wise to see. I've seen people say they should trade Clay Holmes. I don't necessarily agree, but I don't think mm-hmm. it hurts to at least see what you can get for a Clay Holmes, Mike King, etc. And if they got an outfielder, I, I would also really like an infielder um but i'm i think that would be like priority you know 1a and 1b um would be outfielder and then infielder and i think the other line has to be a pitching acquisition but i genuinely could see them standing pat or subtracting from their pitching staff i mean this team needs to learn how to acquire good hitters and be able Mm -hmm. to use their strength of developing relievers and some starters that they have I think they would be foolish not to. And if that's the way this deadline went, if you want to look at a buy-sell combo, I would be perfectly fine with that. I don't think they need another pitcher. Um, I think the offense needs help as it's needed help for months and in some ways for more than that. But I just don't know who is out there realistically. I've grown a lot more comfortable with the idea of a candelario trade but then again if he's the best bat on the market and a seller's market maybe it doesn't make sense to go to that level for a rental so you you straddle the line between you want to get the best players and the best players might not be out there might not be worth giving up prospects for them so i think you need some kind of outfielder and my standards are lowered but the more and more this goes by the more and more I, I fear that the moves are not going to be as qual- either in quality or quantity, not going to be as great as we thought. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I got excited earlier today when the rumor came out that Luis Robert is available. I think all the Yankee fans who hate Glaber Torres would hate Luis Robert, but he's awesome. So I'd love him. I think the Tommy Pham, Mark Canna discourse is getting interesting. It sounds like people are reporting the Mets would be open to making a deal with the Yankees. I think Tommy Pham is really, really exciting. Again, like right-handed, not a good or between not a very good defender and not a good defender, depending on how you see these things. But I'd really like him to be on the team. We've already talked about my support for Austin Slater, who I think is a good player. Again, the thing that a lot of these guys have in common is being right-handed. I don't really know where else the Yankees would go. And again, you get into the concerns about the standings. Is it really possible that the Giants would move anyone? It it gets it gets hairy. I think you're raising an interesting question about the guys the Yankees would sell if they wanted to pursue that strategy. And we've discussed that their roster isn't really primed for selling. It's not something they're awfully well equipped to do. I think you have to look at the bullpen if that's something that you're going to pursue. And Wandy Peralta sticks out to me. He's not someone who would remain on the team 
much longer. He's on the older side. People have said Ian Hamilton. Ian Hamilton is not young for a major league rookie. He is 28 years old, but he has a lot of team control left. I don't know how appealing that makes him to keep or what he could fetch if they didn't. I don't like the idea of getting rid of Clay Holmes because he's cheap and he's really good. I haven't seen anything about Mike King, but I think Mike King would get you a lot if you wanted to part with him. I don't think they do. It's it's tough. I know that there were rumors of a Marlins mega package to get Glaber Torres to the extent that there's a mega package for a non-premium position player with one and a half seasons of control. I'd be really disappointed if that happened. I think it would signal that the Yankees are not trying to win this year. That would not be the hybrid strategy. I think moving some relievers around with getting Jonathan Lewisaga back, potentially putting Severino in the bullpen, you know, there are ways that you can get around that and still put together a team that's built to contend. There's not a way to put together a team that is still built to contend if you deal Glaber Torres. And I think that's kind of what's at work here. I don't, I think I am no longer expecting a deal to be made with the Cardinals. I know that that was big talk for a little while. And Whipple, I think we have to address the sunny gray-sized elephant in the room, which is that it was recently reported that the Yankees are pursuing Sonny Gray. He's back. Almost. No, I think that... <laughs> what if I just <laughs> broke it right now? Like, well, actually, they just traded for him. They're, if Javi Vasquez got a second chance, Sonny Gray can get a second chance in the Matt Blake pitching lab. Um, I other There are other players which I think the Yankees should not reacquire. I honestly don't think Sonny Gray is one of them. I think he's an incredible pitcher who was in a really bad situation, which partially has changed. Maybe that would ruin the relationship, but the Yankees are going after them. They know him. They know what they're doing. I, I do struggle to see I, I struggle to see why they would use their resources on a pitcher, but the more and more I think we see this unfold, the more and more it seems like there just aren't quality hitters. And we've seen the Yankees address pitching when they feel like their hitting can't be upgraded. I think it would be a little bit crazy to do that here, but we've seen it before. I and mean, we saw it this winter too with Carlos mm-hmm. Rodon. Yeah, man. It's so weird. Like Okay, so here's here's the way that I think I want to start to wrap this up. You can have two of the three over the rest of the season. You can have a shockingly good trade deadline in which the Yankees are buyers. You can have... Anthony Rizzo and DJ LeMayhew, but not Giancarlo Stanton, hit well for the rest of the year. Or you can have the entire Yankees offense play to their exact expected WOBA over the rest of the year. Two of the three. So, the, wait, can you repeat the first one? Really aggressive trade okay. deadline in which they're buyers. Two scorching hot months from... 
DJ LeMahieu and Anthony Rizzo, but not Giancarlo Stanton, or perfect regression to expected statistics for the offense? I mean, I feel like I would take the first two, even though I f- the second two would be the, the path of least resistance. Um, just because I do feel like it's time to at least shake things up a little bit and bring in reinforcements. I It's just frustrating that even like the 2021 deadline, I think was a great deadline because the Yankees got two really good mm-hmm. left-handed hitters and it you saw the effect of that. I think last year's yep. deadline was interesting, which, you know, could have gone either way and end up going poorly because you didn't weren't bringing in Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. You're bringing in Andrew Benintendi and Harrison Bader for a few weeks. And they're just a lot less surefire hitters. They don't play to as much of Yankee Stadium strengths. And we saw there wasn't the same kind of effect. And if if I could have that 2021 deadline impact right now, I think I would definitely go for it. I just don't know if it's out there. So, like, in the ideal world, I would take one and two. But I think in the modern, current world, I, I might have to go two and three. Just, like, my heart is saying the first one but my head's saying it's not out there mm-hmm. that makes sense what all right you? Whipple. what about you answer your own question i would take one and three i i think luck is the biggest thing holding this team back and i think there are still options out there on the trade market who haven't moved yet who would improve this team all right we have uh almost 24 hours exactly to see if you are correct well, let's uh, let's see how it goes. So, Whipple, after what I think is, by all accounts, a disappointing week and going into a week in which the Yankees will play seven games against the Rays and Astros combined, what is your confidence in this team? So I think I went up to... And it's kind of fortuitous that I get to ask you this right before the trade deadline instead of right after. I, I think last week I was seven, and... It, it wasn't the worst possible outcome, but I think it was pretty far down there of how, how the week went. Um, maybe, you know, I'm still just a little optimistic after seeing a, probably the best game of the week. But I'm going to I'm going to stay. I'm going to go down a little bit, stay largely where I am at 6.5 and just trust that with Judge back and with hopefully 24 hours left to at least make some moves that there will be something coming. And the fact that the Yankees' playoff position pretty much hasn't changed, which isn't good, but also isn't it's not terrible. Good. Yeah. It's just kind of the same. I, I feel like after seven games against the Rays and the Astros, after hopefully some deadline acquisitions, uh, after some moves will probably have to be made to iron out the rotation, I think we're going to have a different opinion of this team one way or another next week. So I this is kind of like a cop-out. I just six and a half and wait till next week because I think then we will finally really be able to assess how the rest of the season is going to go and that's kind of nerve-wracking but we've seen the Yankees pull off some good deadline hauls before and this team is not averse to upgrading at the deadline they they have shown in some years they are but they certainly have done it before and if the guys are out there like you said I think doing it again will increase confidence and at least maybe it's not the biggest upgrade, but help this team at least play a, a little bit better, at least support for the guys who will hopefully get back to their 
projected stats in the last two months of the year. So the Brewers just got Mark Canna, so there are slightly fewer guys available than there were when we started this right. podcast. I'm down to six. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm actually down to six. I'm really disappointed in the way the Yankees played over this past week. I think that losing that Garrett Cole start was abhorrent. I think that in spite of my fervent belief in regression to the mean, they have defied it for so long that I don't know how much longer I can depend on it. And I'm going to need to see some aggressive moves at the trade deadline or a significant change in the kind of outcomes they're getting offensively in order to believe and I'm concerned about my confidence falling even further next week after a potentially fruitless trade deadline and a week against two teams that have historically given the Yankees a lot of trouble. With that, Whipple, as we wrap this up so we can both go watch the Yankees jump on Tyler Glass now, any parting shots? Yeah, the uh, my favorite moment of the weekend was uh, going to the game, but specifically at the game when Kyle Higashioka's reputation once more was slandered in front of me without the knowledge, without your knowledge that Kyle Higashioka is literally God. When I go to games, this is for, for, for all those that don't know, cause we've talked about it sometimes, but we both keep track of play, you know, players who Homer, we go to games to have the Yankees won or lost. What's our overall record. And Kyle Lagashioka at this point has hit, is tied for the most home runs by any Yankee I've seen dating back to like 2008. So we're talking about historic stuff here. And you dared to question his ability to hit a home run, to go, go for a third hit. And the look on your face when he did was, it made my weekend. It potentially made my season. So I just want to... Shout out to Kyle Higashioka, but also thank you for giving me such a moment of, of joy and I think a meme that I'll be breaking out for uh, years to come. Yeah, that was pretty wild. And people can see the photo and video of my live reaction to Kyle Higashioka hitting a home run in my presence on our Twitter account at Yankees Files. Shout out to everyone who we saw and hung out with in Baltimore this weekend, whether it was... The crew that you brought from all over the eastern seaboard, whether it was the people I got to meet from the Le MVP family to Mario Gomez to, you know, many, many more members of Yankees Twitter. Uh, it was awesome to meet and hang out with everyone. I hope that the city treated you well. I hope that you forget everything that happened in any game except for Saturday so that you associate it with good things. Whipple. It's time for us to wrap up here. People can follow us on Twitter or at Yankees Files. They can keep up with everything we're doing at yankeesfiles.com. Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe if you like it, but only subscribe if you don't. Helps our numbers. You can even catch up with us a little bit on TikTok where we are at Yankees Files Podcast. And look, trade deadline's coming Big week ahead. Whipple and I will be back same time, same place next week to recap how all the craziness went. And until next time, let's go Yankees.